the right message for the Sabbath before the school year begins. Be not afraid. You don't have to be afraid. God is on the throne. He rules. And he has your life. If you give it to him, be not afraid. Wish you could have been here last night when, uh, boy, we had uh, more new students than I've ever seen. Come up to this platform, step up to that renovate banner high overhead, and add their signatures to the faculty, staff, and administration who first put their signatures up only in red, the faculty, staff, and administration in red, last Sabbath. Last night, these new students came. I don't know about you, but every time I witness that, there's just something that stirs up in me. God. Every name up there, I will take a stand for Jesus this year as a moral leader on this campus. Every name up there. We wondered if we could get them all on, but you know what? Good job. And that will hang where that cross is coming down. These are a cycle of four. We're in our second cycle now. It'll hang right there. And every time you come, new student, to this place to worship, and you look up there, and you know exactly where your name is, and it will never be moved. It will always be there. And it will remind you. I made a stand. Christ has called me to be a moral leader as a faculty member, as an administrator, as a staff member. We've all been called to moral leadership, community, campus alike. Be not afraid. God is on the throne. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you. We're not afraid. Because of you, what, what shall we fear? What can anyone do to us, not even the enemy? We're asking you to stand by us now and make this eve of the new year moment all that you need it to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We learned a Latin word last week, renovare. Renovare. It means to make new again. From whence comes our English word renovate, hence the banner above. Today we're going to learn another word. It is not Latin. It's an unusual word. I'll put it up on the, on the uh, screen for you. Etavoner. Etavoner. To be candid with you, scholars are not quite sure what the word means. As near as anybody can tell, etavoner is the word renovate spelled backwards. You came to college to learn this? Yeah, I guess it is. Because you know what? That's the whole point. Sometimes life just turns out backwards. It just turns out backwards. Until the moment comes, and it's going to come for you, once upon a time, there was a little boy whose mother was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. He was conceived because his father was sleeping around. It happens. He grew up in a home with the sons of the legitimate wife, half-brothers, until that day when in a moment of sibling rivalry, those half-brothers said, you know what? 
You're out of here. You're not sharing our inheritance. Do you understand? And the little boy, grown up, ran away. It happens. Maybe it's you who's the little boy running away. Maybe that's your life, at least what you feel about your life. Nothing more than a castaway, a throwaway, a do-away, or worse yet, a do-over because you can't do it over. You're chained to your past, handcuffed to the life you've already lived, it seems, until one day your day comes, and I promise you it will come. It could be today because it came for him. Open your Bible with me to a story that nobody, and read my lips, nobody talks about in public. Open your Bible, please, to the book of Judges. We were in Judges last week with Gideon. We're going back to Judges one more time. Don't miss the new series beginning next week, Tales from a Vineyard. Ooh, some of the great vineyard stories in the Bible. But that's next week. So the book of Judges, you're going to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11, I'm in the New International Version, whatever translation you brought today. I'm glad you brought it. Don't have one. Pull the Pew Bible out in front of you. You can track along. What's the page number? Page 176. Here comes the story now, Judges 11, verse 1, and Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, great warrior. Who is he? Well, his father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Uh-oh. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. <laughs> so Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. The contemporary English Bible says, and they became his posse. Bunch of discontents. Sometime later, verse 4, when the Ammonites, ooh, the enemy, were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. How did they know he was in the land of Tob? You know why? Because these elders are his half-brothers. <laughs> the elders went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Can you believe that? These half-brothers have all become civic leaders in their region, and now they're having to eat crow, humble pie, and say, you know what? We really need you, mighty warrior half-brother. This, this, this story has all the makings of the story of Joseph and his half-brothers bowing in front of him, begging him to save their families, not knowing that he's their half-brother. <laughs> looks at them. He says, you guys, can't, you got to be kidding me. Time out. Come on, come on, come on. Let me ask you a question. Verse 7, Jephthah then said to them, hey, aren't you the guys that hated me? Aren't you the guys that drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Hmm? And the elders of Gilead, his half-brother, said to him, nevertheless, yep, 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 you're right, you're right, but nevertheless, we are turning to you now. 
Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Come on, Jephthah answered, verse 9. Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The son of the prostitute that you kicked out of the family? And they answer him. (laughs) They answer The Lord is our witness, verse 10. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And, oh, I love this line now, the very tail end of 11. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah, because sometimes you just need to tell God everything all over again. You got to tell him. Because you have to choose all over again who your Lord really is. Doesn't matter who your mommy is. Doesn't matter who your daddy is. Doesn't matter what you decided yesterday. The question is today, what are you going to, what will you decide today? Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, how's it go? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Last Sabbath, a whole lot of you came forward. Put your names on that banner overhead. That was a decision you were making. Last night, a whole lot of you came forward. Put your names on that banner overhead. That's the decision you were making. I will take my stand and be a moral leader for God on this campus. I have chosen this day. But the deal about choices is you've got to make them today and today and today. It can't just be long ago. I have chosen this day, and I praise God that you chose. I'm so proud of you. Good for you. Jephthah made the same rededication. Renovare. To make new again. Renovate. I choose this day. And he did. But as it so often happens, when you make a decision like that, war will break out in your life. War. Because there's somebody that hates the thought of you giving your best energies to his arch rival. So that's what happens here. Verse 12, then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, what do you have against me that you have attacked my country? And the king of Ammonites, in verse 13, answered Jephthah's messengers, look, when Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok all the way to the Jordan. Now, my friend, give it back peaceably. Turns out that Jephthah is a rather skilled diplomat and negotiator because he now will send messengers back and they recite the entire history of Israel, Israel coming out of Egypt. And Jephthah will point out that we never put a single finger on Ammonite territory. What are you talking about? And right in the middle of that message back to the, to the uh, pagan king, Jephthah speaks a line. Oh, this line is so rich. We can't miss it. It's at the the end of verse 24, in the middle of his message. The last line of verse 24, I'll put it on the screen for you. Whatever the Lord our God has given us. Hey, Mr. King, Mr. Enemy King, whatever the Lord our God has given to us, we will possess it. Oh, I like that. Whatever the Lord our God has given to us, we will possess it. We're on the verge. We're on the verge of a new year. That'll be a war, but never mind. God is on our side. We're on the verge of a new year, and it is important for us to be reminded that whatever the Lord God has given to us this new year, we will possess it because he gave it to me, not to you, enemy. He gave it to me. We will possess it. 
I wonder what it is that's in your life right now, sitting right there in the doorstep, ready for you to open the door and say, I will possess this because it has come to me from God. What is it? Let's put a, may, may I give a few suggestions here? Put them on the screen for you. What has God given you to possess? Number one, he's given you his gifts. Any gift you want to mention, he's already given that gift to you. Watch this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Good things. He said, I'll give you good things. Would you like good things this new year? Yeah, I'd like good things. What would be good things? I'd like some forgiveness. Good things. I'd like some peace. Would you like peace? I'll give you my peace. I need money. I know I can handle that department as well. Good things. What do you need? What does God give? How's that line go? Whatever the Lord our God has given us, we will possess. Oh, I like that. What about, here's the second gift. His spirit. In fact, Luke takes the same verse you just saw in Matthew. Luke puts another ending to it. Watch this. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who... And the Greek tense is continually, day after day, ask for the Holy Spirit. Not only will you get good things, but you will get the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to this. I think it was last year, because last year the emphasis was on the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think there was a line that we quoted somewhere last year that said, when you ask for the gift of the Spirit, when you ask for the blessing of the Holy Spirit, you get, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, you get every other blessing in the universe with that gift. Come on. Why wouldn't you ask for the Holy Spirit on the threshold of a new year? Of course, daily. Every day you wake up and you say, Jesus, today I need you to send to me the Holy Spirit. May he bring your consciousness to mine. May he bring your life into me. Today let me live my life as it were yours through the Holy Spirit. Just every day. Baptize me today. I do it every morning myself. Baptize me today. What's wrong with that? What did Jephthah tell the enemy king? Whatever the Lord our God has given us, we will possess It's time to quit wimping and whining around saying, poor me, I just don't have anything. Time out. I just read two promises that tell you you have every good gift that God has, and moreover, he will give you his Holy Spirit every day if you'll ask him. And that brings every other gift in the treasury. What's not to like? One more. What is it that God would give to us? Oh, I'm going to put Christ's object lessons on the screen for you. I love this. Just found this this last week. The Spirit awaits our demand and reception. Ooh, demand and reception. Why? Because whatever the Lord our God has given us, we will possess. We will take it today, right now, Lord. I receive your Spirit. Don't go running out of your dormitory room or your house in the community thinking, I don't feel any different. It's not about feeling. If you've asked, you got the gift. Just ask every day. There's one more category. What is it? Number three on the screen. What will God, what does God want you to possess this year? His promises. Come on. The book is filled with promises. Let me just share this with you before we continue the story. Second Peter chapter one, his, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through these, he, God has given us his very great and precious promises. You got them all. Just go through your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Read a little bit every morning. You'll run into a promise. Put your finger on that promise and say, Lord God of Israel, I'm asking, please. We will possess everything the Lord our God has given us to possess. Wow. So Jephthah sends that message. 
Oh, it really, it really warms the cockles of the enemy king's heart. Not. Verse 28, when the enemy king gets that message, verse 28, read it, the king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to this idea of you possessing everything that the Lord has given you. The devil won't pay any attention either. He, he knows that you're supposed to possess this. He knows this gift is given to you. His, the devil's strategy is to get you to forget about the gift so that you quit asking. And if you quit asking, why would God give you what you don't want? The enemy king paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. Oh, here it comes now, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from there he advanced against the Ammonites, verse 30. And Jephthah, ah, Jephthah, did you have to do this? Did you have to do this? And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give me the Ammonites into my hands. Hit the pause button right there. He makes a vow. Listen, Jephthah, what's, 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 the prob- what's the problem here? Haven't you already committed your life and mission to him? Hasn't he already assured you that he'll be with you always, even to the end of the world? Why are you mucking up a perfectly good story with a hasty, ill-thought vow? Why are you doing this? I'll tell you why. He has three good reasons why he, why he does it. Because number one, it was the custom of the times to make vows to the Lord. Everybody does it. Number two, he was under pressure to deliver. He's the son of a prostitute. Will this boy deliver a mighty warrior or not? So there's a lot of pressure on him. And number three, there's nothing like a little quid pro quo to help God hold up his end of the bargain. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, like, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. If then, quid pro quo. That's what Jacob did to God. If you bless me, I'll return tithe. God says, don't, don't come to me with this quid pro quo, quo stuff. Just trust me. But no, that's what he's doing. Ah, that's why, by the way, when it comes to making vows, don't make them. Solomon, except when you're getting married. Uh, <laughs> that's the one time when those vows are very appropriate. And we do hold it. We clergy hold you to that vow. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 5. Solomon warns about vows on the screen. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. I like the way Jesus put it in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. None of this oath and vow stuff. Just lay off. Trust me. Either it's yes or no. Well, sad to say, Jephthah made the vow. All right, verse 30 again. And so Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, if you will give the Ammonites into my hands, then, verse 31, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Yes, Lord. Amen. It's out of his mouth. Can't pull it back. (sighs) Jephthah, no doubt, was convinced that some little innocent barnyard critter would come topsy out of the farm and be the first to meet him returning. And I'm going to offer that as a sacrifice to God. But guess what? It wasn't a creature, not a barnyard one. God gives Jephthah this massive victory over the Ammonites, and he returns home a triumphant conqueror, son of a prostitute, a triumphant conqueror. Everybody is calling him their leader. I mean, what's not to like about that? Except the story didn't go that way quite. Verse 34, and when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him? 
but his daughter dancing to the sound of timbrels and tambourines. She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes and he cried, Oh, no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Of course you can, Jeff. This time out again. Stop the story. You can, you don't have to keep this. God knew the intent of your heart. The intent of your heart was, I'll give you something for my flock or something for my herd, and it'll be a big gift for you, God, if you'll give me victory. God gave you the victory. Give him what you wanted to give him. But oh no, Jephthah's understanding of God is a rather rigid and unpliable portrait. God would never hold somebody to so rash a vow. But it's his little girl. She comes racing out the door because she's an only child. This is her daddy. She is so proud. You know, little kids, not so little kids, they are so proud of their daddies. My daddy is the greatest, and he's the conk, the mighty conqueror, and she's with, a, with dancing and singing, comes twirling out of that house to greet him, and he is absolutely shattered. Now, I want you to watch what the writer of Judges skillfully does when he continues to lower the level of emotional depth to this story. I'm going to run 12 levels by you. Watch this. Because he didn't just say the girl came out and, oh, what am I going to do? No. Here's how, the, here's how the writer of Judges does it. First, level number one, the daughter, the daughter comes out with tambourines and dancing. It's a picture of such pure and innocent joy. Is there a father alive whose heartstrings wouldn't be already plucking right now? But of course. Level number two, she is his only child. In other words, all his hopes, all his dreams, all his joys revolve around her. She is his one and only. Level number three, a little lower, to reinforce that, the writer writes, she, she is, ex except for her, except for her. Well, we already got this. She's an only child. No, except for her. In other words, she's not only his pride and joy and love, she is his future. If she disappears, his lineage is gone. There is no lineage. There's no family tree. Cut. Gone. Level number five. No, no. Level number four. He had neither. Look, we already got this, writer. We already got this. He had neither son nor daughter. But that's the point. He has nothing now. Level number five, when he saw her, because when he sees her, I mean, all the way home, he's been dreaming about, you know, when, 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 when that sacrifice comes, me and my little girl, we're going to walk out to that altar, and we're going to sacrifice this altar in gratitude to the God who gave us triumph. There's no, there's, no, there's no walking hand in hand now. Level number six, he tears his clothes, just Level number seven, oh, no, my daughter, just the words, my daughter. The anguish. Level number eight, you have brought me to my knees. Down. He must be sobbing by now. I'm devastated. Number nine, you are my, I, you are my agony. And then number ten, I cannot break it. I cannot break this vow. Two more levels come in the daughter's reply. Let's get her reply. Verse 36, oh, my father. And in the Hebrew, it's Abi. It's daddy. Oh, my daddy. Oh, Abi. Just like a knife. Oh, my father. She replied, you, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But, verse 37, grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. Her little girlhood dreams are all over. 
just the stab slicing through that father's heart. And that's what happened. Verse 39, after the two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed. Scholars are nearly unanimous that Jephthah did to his daughter what God would not allow Abraham to do to his boy Isaac. Jephthah sacrificed his daughter as a burnt offering to God, slayed her, burned her. And yet, get this, when the prophet Samuel is summarizing the whole history of the judges, and he looks back over the judges, guess whose name he pulls out as, a, as evidence of the Lord God stepping in at critical moments and delivering his people? Yeah, you got it, Jephthah. He remembers Jephthah. And yet, get this, when the Bible's Walk of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith chapter is written in Hebrews chapter 11, guess who is listed among the great men and women of faith throughout sacred history? You got it, Jephthah. Apparently, the fact that your mother is a prostitute does not mean God cannot do major kingdom business through you. Apparently, being so wrong about God's character that you end up sacrificing your own flesh and blood does not halt or diminish the love of God, mistakes and warts and all that you possess. I mean, how else are we going to explain how a nobody, a castaway, a reject ends up the hero of his people and a star embedded in the Bible's walk of fame? Jephthah. God, why'd you, why'd you put this? Why'd you put this story? This, this is barbaric. This is, this is terrible. I don't know why God put it in. I'm thinking out loud with you, just wondering if, if maybe. Maybe the reason God preserved the story of Jephthah is because this narrative of a father who had to sacrifice his one and only child would become a faint shadow of another father who would have to sacrifice his one and only child one day. Repeat the words with me on the screen. You know them by heart. For God so loved the world. We'll put them on the screen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Two fathers, two only childs, two tragic deaths. But the truth is, you know what? When we're thinking about Calvary, Come on, let's be honest. Most of our thinking is about Jesus, what Jesus went through, what Jesus suffered, what happened to our Lord, the sacrifice He made. And we can't help it. It's just the, the, the sacrifice of the Father is just quietly pushed to the perimeter of the narrative. The story of Jephthah with the 12 levels of emotional depth reminds us that the father, with a heart broken into a thousand shards, suffers in the sacrifice. Yeah. I was listening to WBBM News Radio out of Chicago. 
And I heard a story I'll never forget as long as I live. It's a story about, it was a story about a little uh, 10 or 11-year-old girl who had invited a friend of hers over to the house for a sleepover. You see, her parents were going to go out for dinner that night. I don't know if it was an anniversary or birthday they're celebrating. But the parents didn't want their only child daughter to be alone in the house. And so they said, bring a friend of yours over, and you girls just have a sleepover. We'll be back late tonight. You go to bed. Don't you stay up. Well, you know what happened to the two little girls? They have fun. They had fun all through the evening. In fact, they stayed up later than they should, actually. Finally went to bed, but then the little daughter of the parents sat up and said, you know what? Here's a surprise. Let's surprise my parents. Okay. Okay. So they go down to the entryway. They get into the closet. They get in the closet. So they're waiting for mom and dad to come. It takes forever. Where are mom and dad? They don't come. Finally, there's a key in the door, and they hear the door click open. And when the door slowly opened, the little girl and her friend leaped out of the closet in the dark and yelled, Boo! And the father, thinking it was an intruder, reached into his side, pulled out a handgun, and shot the intruder in the dark. When they turned the lights on, it was his daughter. She died in his arms. And the last words she whispered to him were, Daddy, I love you. When I heard that story, I had to pull over to the side of the road just to recover. There was just no way I could keep driving. I mean, how could Jephthah ever sleep at night again peacefully? How could this father in Chicago ever sleep at night again peacefully? How could the father of this universe who sacrificed everything he had in the gift of his one and only child, how could he ever sleep again peacefully except for the way the story ended for him? We forget the father, don't we? Yet Steps to Christ, that little classic, let me put the words on the screen for you. This great sacrifice at Calvary, Steps to Christ, was not made in order to create in the father's heart a love for us. Men and women, not to make him willing to save us. No, no, exclamation mark. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Father loves us not because of the great sacrifice, but he provided the sacrifice because he loves us. Christ was the medium through which the Father could pour out his infinite love upon a fallen world. God was in Christ, 2 Corinthians. God suffered with his Son. Here it comes. In the agony of Gethsemane, the death of Calvary, the heart of infinite love paid the price of our redemption. End quote. And because of that infinite love in a Father's heart, you have nothing to fear on the eve of this new year. I don't care what's happened in your past, who your mommy is, daddy is, it doesn't matter a hoot now. It's you and infinite love. The once heartbroken father says, hey, let me be your savior. Let me be your Lord. Let me be your God. And in the death of my one and only, Let me secure your salvation forever and ever, if you receive it, please. Gone the past, washed, prostitute son, washed away. How does that line go in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, on the screen, please? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. What do you say to that? 
The new is here. The heartbroken father, the one and only child, have covenanted together to save only you if you're the only one, to save only you if you're the only one. We'll, we'll do it. We did it. You're covered forever. Oh, man, wouldn't you, like to have, wouldn't you like to have a fresh new beginning, not just because you're a freshman or a new student, but just because you're you? Wouldn't you like to have a new beginning? You can right now possess what the Lord our God has given us to possess. The salvation is yours. Take it as I pray. Take it in your heart. Father, oh, Father above, we have pushed you out of the story so many times, not because we intended to. It's just, you know, how it goes. But one obscure story reminds us the Father's heart was shattered. The good news is you love us. You have drawn us to the threshold of a new year, and here we are as a worshiping community. Now, Father, every heart bowed before you now. In this quiet moment, every heart uh, asking you, please, for that new beginning, the fresh creation, renovare, to make new again. Please receive our humble prayers in this silent moment, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.